Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. I'm your host, Umar Hamid. And today we have Stan Weiner here with us, and he's going to talk about positive intelligence. And maybe you got a little bit of positive intelligence, but tell me what that means, Stan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Umar. Uh, at its most basic, uh, positive intelligence uh, involves what's called mental fitness. And that simply is um, one's capacity to respond to various stimuli or, or things that happen in our life from a positive mindset or positive frame of mind rather than a negative. And it's based on, on extensive research involving both neuroscience, uh, linguistics, and general coaching. Um, so Stan, it seems to me uh, that there's another field that's very closely related. It's called positive psychology. What's the distinction between positive psychology and positive intelligence? Well, I'm not very familiar with what positive psychology is, but positive intelligence, um, as it's applied how I use it, uh, and the program that was founded by a fellow named Shirzad Shamin, uh, think of it as an operating system through which you can use mindfulness, any kind of Zen thinking, uh, perhaps positive psychology. Uh, it's much like you might have uh, an operating system, Windows, or uh, a Mac OS on your computer. You can use that operating system to make effective use of all the different applications that you might want to use. And the training involved with uh, having a client use positive intelligence is that it gives us a framework by which to keep the negative thoughts that are inherent in our mind from affecting how we respond to stimuli. So it seems to me that uh, you were talking about earlier experiences that uh, human beings are meaning-making machines. And when something bland is happening, we make no meaning about it whatsoever. It's like we don't care. But if there's a lot of emotions attached to an event, then we inherently make meaning out of that event. And if it was a negative event, there's negative emotions. And some of the meanings we make are, I'm not good enough, or I'm a failure, or I'm a fraud. And if the event was a positive event with lots of positive feelings, oftentimes we'll go, Man, I'm fantabulous. So is that what we're talking about, those uh, pivotal moments in our upbringing that sometimes set the tone for how we see the world? Yes, that, that's uh, a great summation of what it is. Um, what positive intelligence enables us to do, however, is to compose our thinking before the negative impact of an event can happen. The terms that we use in positive intelligence are the sage, which is that part of our brain that allows us to use uh, positive uh, thoughts and actions mm -hmm. and what we call the 10 saboteurs. And we're born with the 10 saboteurs. They reside in our brain uh, 
in the uh, reptilian part of our brain. And their original intention was to allow us to survive long enough to procreate. Yes. They were very helpful for that. And as newborns and as infants, we use those same tools to help us survive. They tell us how to attract the attention of our mother. It tells us um, how to do a lot of things that we need to do until we can become thinking ourselves. All right. So give me uh, one of those sabotage uh, strategies. What comes to mind first? And then let's take a look at how it helps us in evolution to actually get what we want. Uh, be glad to do that. Let me go talk about the sage perspective, which is the foundation of all the stuff that we do. Mm -hmm. And the sage perspective says that any situation can be converted into a gift and an opportunity. Okay. And my own experience, once I embraced that concept, it changed the way I dealt with everything in my life. And that's been the experience of my clients as well. Saboteurs tend to make us think of situations as this is hopeless. I'm never going to get this report done on time. Nobody else can do it as well as I can. And those are examples of, of the, the hypercritical and perhaps the, the victim saboteurs, two of the 10. All right. So you said that, you know, those 10 saboteurs helped us in evolution and survive. So how does that negative thing, how did that help us survive? Well, think back to uh, when we were living in caves and we had to venture out to find food. Mm -hmm. We had already discovered that a particular tree had food that was good for uh, us as an individual and for our little family. But we also had to develop an awareness that if we saw the leaves of that tree moving, that it might be an animal looking to eat us like, I, like it ate Uncle Harry three weeks ago. Right. So that awareness, the saboteur's survival function is don't go near that tree, even though it might be good food and might, might make you healthy and, and live better because there's a one in a hundred chance that what's behind that tree is going to kill you. All right. So what are the other nine uh, saboteurs? One is there victim are, that we covered. Yeah. The master saboteur is called, we call it the judge. And examples of that saboteur working are how, well, for instance, for me, I used to judge my colleagues as to what their value was to what I was trying to do. Right. This one, this one is no good, can't be organized. And, and most of the time, the judge beats up on ourselves. There are nine accomplice saboteurs that work with the judge. One is the controller. Another is the stickler. Another is the avoider, one of my particularly strong ones. Uh, the hyperachiever, there's the pleaser, the victim, the restless saboteur, and the hypervigilant saboteur, and the hyperrational. And each of those works within our mind with a series of lies. Um, this, this, uh, it helps with this concept to think of these saboteurs as actually living in our brain. Uh, of course, they're not creatures. They just happen to be ways that we think and react to stimuli in our lives. Right. So if I was, uh, let's say I had the sage, and do you remember that movie Dumb and Dumber? Yes. 
So there's this one scene where he's trying to hit on this woman and she's basically saying, I'm not going to date you. He goes, well, what are my chances? You know, one in a million. He goes, oh my God, I've got a chance. Like that's the sage, right? Saying, hey, I'm looking at the positive rather than the negative. Uh, yes, exactly. So the, the gift and opportunity um, was in meeting her that he did have a one in whatever chance that she might go out with him. So tell me about one of your clients, don't name names, but tell me of one of the saboteurs they had and how you got them to let go of that saboteur. Um, I had a uh, client that was a chief executive of a business, and it was a fairly successful business, but recently had run into some situations, some headwinds, if you will, that was affecting the performance of the business. He succumbed to his judge saboteur who was telling him that he was an imposter. He wasn't really good enough to lead his company through these challenging times. And the fact that he started the company and got it to be a very successful company didn't matter. That was all a charade. It was it was just luck. Sooner or later, they're going to figure out, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it really started to affect him uh, not only in the work environment, but at home. And uh, his daughter said to him one day, Daddy, why, why are you so sad all the time now? And he literally broke down crying. He and I talked about what was going on, and we applied some positive intelligence to looking at what really was getting in his way. Right. One of the saboteurs getting in his way is the one that we name the controller. And that's an anxiety-based saboteur that says, I have to take charge. I have to control the situation. I have to make people do what I tell them and what I want them to do. And clearly, as a CEO and as a successful CEO, that was not going to work for him. But the saboteur kept saying to him, Without me, you can't get much done. So you need to push people. And, and if, you, if you don't get the control, then things are, terrible things are going to happen. As we talked about that, I questioned him, well, if that controller were not quite as strong in this situation, what might be different about how you're dealing with this particular time in your business? And as he thought about it, he realized that the controller was lying to him and telling him that his organization, the people that he had groomed all these years when the business was growing, were incapable of getting him past this particularly tough time. And when he stopped and thought about it, just paused, he realized himself that that was absurd. Part of positive intelligence involves just pausing and doing simple exercises like rubbing the tips of your fingertips together so you can feel the ridges. It takes maybe five seconds, but when one gets in the habit of using those little things, it breaks the power of the saboteur. It lets our mind shift to the positive side. And he finally said to me, well, that's ridiculous. I know these people. They're brilliant. In fact, they're more capable than I am of getting through this situation. 
and he went on to say to his team that I, I can't do this on my own and I trust you people. That's why you're here. They figured out a way to get through it. They revised their marketing approach. They changed the way they were presenting the, the product and went on to be even more successful than they ever had been before. Nice. So in the past, how would you have handled that situation when you weren't an expert in this field? Uh, well, thanks for the compliment. I don't know that I'm, I'm an expert yet. But I probably would have continued to, to ask him what was, a, what was there in the project that made him feel so strongly that he couldn't count on anybody else. And we probably would have spent a lot of time going through his particular training, his particular successes and failures. And I still did that. But the difference was getting him to look for the gift and the opportunity. And the opportunity in this situation was to discover just how good the team that he had built was and how capable they were of handling the situation. He was denying them the chance to do what they were good at. Not an uncommon thing. So Stan, you also run a Vistage group. Uh, how many groups do you run? I run two Vistage groups. One is for chief executives, uh, CEOs, owners, or presidents. Uh, the other is called a key executive group, which is primarily made up of people that report directly to CEOs, presidents, or owners. So right now, you know, we're two years into this pandemic. Kind of what's the vibe with your CEOs in terms of what the future looks like for them? Uh, the vibe has changed since uh, the spring of 2020. Back then, the vibe was, how do I keep my business afloat? Can I bring my employees in? Can I bring them in? Can they, can they do what they need to do from home? Uh, fortunately for a lot of my Vistage members, they were uh, deemed to be essential businesses. So the vibe wasn't so much as, well, how do I get my employees in? But the concern was the tightening of money, the tightening of supplies, the fear of people about coming into work. As, as time passed with the pandemic, uh, cash flow became the big vibe. And almost all of my members applied for and were given uh, grants through the payroll protection plan. Mm -hmm. That enabled them to keep the employees that they had invested so much in over the years. As time went on and, and that kind of passed, uh, the vibe became, I have to find some new customers because a lot of my customers didn't survive. Uh, I have a member whose business primarily was serving the hospitality business. Oh yeah, that got crushed. Yeah. Overnight, he lost 80% of his customers and had to reinvent his business. So in a Vistage group, which is a private peer advisory board in a confidential environment, we meet and help one another to answer questions. And we do it in a way without a hidden agenda. So when this member came and, and presented his, his challenge with, how, how do I keep my business going when 80% of my customers were gone? There's a process that I use as a professional facilitator that involves having the other members ask open-ended questions 
the kinds mm -hmm. of questions that nobody else would ask a member. If it's your family, they don't want to hurt your feelings by asking a difficult question. Um, if it's your employees, they don't want to ask a question that you might think is a stupid question. Yep. And we then use these open-ended questions to get the person to think about the situation in a different way. It's almost like in the cartoons when you see a light bulb go off above somebody's head. Right. And the typical reaction is, you know, I never thought about it that way. And What's then we interesting go on to make suggestions mm -hmm. to help that person. One of the interesting things is a lot of times when people ask questions, they've got an embedded answer within the question and they're trying to direct the thinking. And that's where your job comes in as facilitators say, uh-uh-uh. You need to ask purely open-ended questions, not ones with agendas attached. Because it's a human need to, especially for CEOs, to tell people the solution. And the best gift you can give a member, a fellow member, is to get them to get a different perspective on the situation so they see the most strategic, effective solution. That, that's a great point. Um, yes, very often someone will say, well, Umar, did you ever try this? Well, that's a suggestion. It just happens to have a... A, a yeah. question wrapped around it. But there's actually um, a brain science brace reason why open-ended questions are much more effective in those type of situations. The minute you present a suggestion rather than a question, the other person's brain shuts down and has to focus on the suggestion. It, we can't avoid it. That, that's, that's just how our brains react. So I've, I've disciplined and trained my members to only use open-ended questions. Everybody once in a while will make the mistake. I do it sometimes, and boy, do they let me know. Ah, you broke your own rule. Yep. <laughs> but the open-ended question without the suggestion embedded in it is incredibly powerful. You're right. What's kind of interesting is if you, uh, like right now, I'm going to ask you to do a thought experiment with me, Stan. Are you in a relationship right now? A personal relationship? Yeah. Like spouse or whatever. Um, yes. So when you think about that person that you're in a relationship with and how much you care about them, notice a picture pops up in your mind's eye that represents that caring. Hmm. She's probably going to listen to this, so I better be careful. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're, we're not going to do anything with it. Uh, yeah. Controversial, uh, but a picture no, pops uh, up, right? The the picture in my mind is. Um, Someone that asks me a lot of questions. It's interesting that, that you posed that question. And, and that's what attracted me to her. Uh, oh, she's brilliant. Genuinely interested in what's going on with me. So I've done this uh, thing where you get uh, a large group of people and you get one person that has this one issue. Like, I think all X's are a bunch of jerks. Or I think vaccination is X. Whatever that strong opinion is. And you get them to hold that opinion and a picture pops up in their mind's eye that represents it. And you say, okay, so people are going to give you suggestions. So this is not open-ended questions. This is suggestions, what you should be doing. You're not allowed to say thank you. You're not allowed to respond in any way other than just accept what they said. You don't have to believe it or agree with it. And as people give different opinions, then at the end of the eight people giving opinions, you ask them, you know, when you think about this issue, how do you feel about it now? And that internal picture that represents it has changed. So just yeah. by... Hearing other opinions, it gives you the ability to let go of your grip on the reality as you know it, 
not that we want you to change, but when you hold on to reality so tightly, oftentimes we can't allow for changes. And great leaders, it's all about the flexibility of thinking that lets you transcend the problem. So human beings are fascinating and how will we get them there is a gift. And Vistage does a great job of that. Yes, you've actually just described the second part of the process. The first part is all the open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. And and then I'll ask the group, uh, okay, so Umar said this was the, the situation they needed help with. After you've heard his answers to our questions, is that really what we're going to help him with? And invariably, the answer is no. That was just at the surface. He really yep. didn't see what he needed to see. And then we'll make suggestions. And your job, as you said, is just to listen, take notes. No. Yeah, but none of that. Um, and it's a very helpful process. It's it's opening their, their mind, as you said. Absolutely. So Stan, what is a mind hack, like a, a simple trick you use to be more effective or happier or more successful? Is there a mind hack you can share with our audiences? Yes. Um, the first is I use that sage perspective. I literally mm -hmm. do one of these little positive intelligence exercises, which takes two, maybe five seconds. And during that time, I can stop my brain from thinking, oh, this is only going to come out bad, which was my normal tendency. I'm a skeptic. Uh, I, I had a tendency to always look for the cracks in something. And instead, I just do that little mental pause. And I ask myself, literally, what is the gift or opportunity that's here? And invariably, that allows me to see whatever good might be there. And a, a part of that philosophy in, in positive intelligence is that no matter what the idea or situation, at least 10% of it probably has good value. Absolutely. And even if you think this is total BS, just going through the exercise gives you another perspective. And I think that's one of the things leaders that are really effective do is they look at different perspectives before they go solve a problem. Yeah. So another hack that I use, uh, it, it doesn't happen quite as quickly, but um, I imagine myself, my older, wiser self, let's say 20 years from now, I'm no longer working. Are you still alive 20 years from now? No, please go and, on. And I'll say, okay, how would the older, wiser stand react to this particular situation? And that almost always diffuses the explosiveness of the moment. Because I said, 20 years from now, I think, did it really matter that, that somebody shipped me the wrong package? Yeah. It, it's made me a much more calm and happier person. What's kind of interesting, Stan, is like, I'm sure the older, wiser version of you is, is more sage. But I suspect, perhaps, maybe a little bit, that twerpy five-year-old Stan who was like fun loving and saw the world in a different way, sometimes saying, how would baby Stan see this? And sometimes wisdom comes from that youthful place as well. And it just gives you another perspective. He'd go up, ah, who cares? I'm going to go play <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I know you do a lot of work with uh, sales organizations and most people would tell you that the secret to being successful in selling more than anything else is to listen more than you talk. Yes. Being able to ask the right questions is the part that's often not trained. 
So imagine you're trying to sell to someone they've never done business with you. And what if you use that older, wiser self question to ask your customer? Yep, brilliant. George, uh, I, I know we're, we're trying to solve this particular problem now, but think ahead 15 years from now and you look back at this. How would you have liked this to turn out? That's a great and very disarming question to get George to really think in a different way. Absolutely. If you can help your customers get an insight that they didn't have before, uh, you build up trust, you build that relationship up. And Stan, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I can't wait for our next conversation. Thank you for having me, Mar. It was a pleasure. Have a great <laughs> weekend. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 